Hello, I'm K.O. Hurston, a family law attorney in Knoxville, Tennessee, and welcome to Hurston on Tennessee Family Law. In this episode, I'm going to answer some questions sent in by listeners. Today, there are actually three questions we're going to deal with. The first is about finding a lawyer, how to go about finding and selecting a lawyer for your family law case. The second question is about child support. Uh, And the third question allows me to rant a little bit about what really bothers me in Tennessee family law. So before I begin with the questions and my responses, we have to do this quick disclaimer. This podcast is an educational resource for people interested in Tennessee family law. It is not intended as legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. I am not your lawyer. And while I'm a huge fan of podcasts, you should not take legal advice from a podcast, including this one. Now that that's out of the way, let's get right to our first question. Hi, K.O. My name is Wesley. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and I've been looking at your blog recently because I've got a situation I need to deal with. Um... I've I've really enjoyed the blog, and it's helped me some, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to find a lawyer, and I don't know how to do that. You're in Knoxville, and I'm in Memphis. Is there any way you could help me to figure out how to find a lawyer in this area? I appreciate it. Thanks. This is a critical decision for someone with a family law issue to make, and it's not a decision that should be made lightly. For most people, their family law dispute is likely to be the most significant interaction they're ever going to have with the legal system. The outcome of their case is going to impact them in some way forever. And so it's worth your while to put some thought into who you choose to represent you. So first, how do you find a family law attorney? Well, basically, there are three ways people find lawyers. Referrals, through advertising, or from their bar association. So let's start with the first way, the referrals, which I happen to think is far and away the best way to find a family law attorney for you. So essentially there are two sources of referrals, other lawyers or some of your friends or colleagues. In my opinion, that's the most valuable uh, referral for someone who's looking to hire a family law attorney. So if you happen to know a lawyer you have a neighbor or a friend who knows a lawyer, ask that lawyer who he or she would recommend for a family law matter. You know, lawyers tend to know the professional reputations of other lawyers in town. They know who their colleagues respect and who they don't. It's really the same in any profession. So for example, last year I had LASIK eye surgery. So choosing who was going to operate on my eyes, that was not something that I took lightly. So how did I find the right doctor for me? Well, I started by asking other doctors. Doctors know the reputations of other doctors in town. They know who to go to, and they know who to avoid. So it turns out that in Knoxville, there's one ophthalmologist that pretty much all the doctors go to for their LASIK procedures. I checked him out, met with him, and ultimately chose him to operate on my eyes. The fact that other doctors trust him with their eyes really helped me trust him with mine. So if you have access to a lawyer through friends, family, coworkers, whatever, ask that lawyer for a referral to someone who does 
family law. If you can, ask several lawyers. If you keep hearing the same name coming back, then that's probably a lawyer you want to consider. All right, the second way people can get the names of lawyers who do family law work in their area is through advertising or looking online. There are some lawyers who advertise on TV, some on radio, some in newspapers. Um, That's another way you might go about getting the name of someone to consider. Nearly all family law attorneys have a website, so definitely check out the lawyer's website. Unfortunately, most lawyer websites look the same. Most of them really don't say much, but it, it still might give you a gut feeling about that lawyer. It can certainly help you learn about the lawyer's credentials and education. The third way you can get the name of a lawyer who does family law is through a referral service from a local bar association. So in the larger cities in Tennessee, like Nashville, Memphis, and Knoxville, the local bar associations have a lawyer referral service. Some of the smaller towns may have them too, I don't really know, but the bigger cities definitely do. So you can Google the Nashville Bar Association, Memphis Bar Association, or Knoxville Bar Association, and look for their lawyer referral service on their website. Basically, you contact them, tell them what type of issue you have, and they'll refer you to a local lawyer who handles those types of cases. All right, so now either through referrals or online or through a referral service, you've got some names of lawyers. Now what? What do you do and what should you look for? My advice, and really the biggest suggestion I have, is to find someone whose practice involves a lot of family law. The more, the better. You know, in bigger cities, you're going to find lawyers, like in Nashville, Memphis, and Knoxville, there are lawyers like us at Hurston Law Group who practice family law exclusively. If you can find, if you're in a big city and have access to those lawyers, I, I think that is, uh, that's important. You want someone who's experienced in this area of the law and who really has the luxury of being able to focus just on that one practice area. In smaller towns, most of the lawyers are general practitioners. They'll handle your DUI, they'll take care of your speeding ticket, help you write your will. Many of those lawyers also handle divorces and post-divorce disputes and other family law matters. So the biggest suggestion I have is to look for someone who practices a lot of family law. If you're in a big city, Look for someone who does that to the exclusion of other types of law. And if that's not available where you live, if you're in a smaller town, then really just the more that lawyer practices family law, the better. All right, you found some potential lawyers. You've checked out their websites. You now know they're experienced in family law. Everything looks legit. So now what? What's the next step? The next step is a consultation. That's a chance for you to meet with that lawyer, ask questions, and really get a feel for him or her. Does the lawyer understand your situation and your concerns? Uh, did he or she listen to you and really understand how you're feeling? I think this is real important. Did you leave their office with more knowledge than you had when you walked in? Be sure to discuss financial terms. What does the lawyer charge? How often will you be billed? Uh, does the lawyer require a retainer? You know, in the end, it comes down to this. Do you trust this lawyer? Do you respect the lawyer? Will you follow his or her advice? If the answer is no, keep looking. Trust your instinct. No lawyer is the right lawyer for everyone. You know, there are some people for whom I am not the right person to help them. And that's true for every single lawyer. So keep looking until you find the person or the firm that is the right fit for you. 
because the selection of the lawyer who's going to help you through this situation you're in is too important. Now, with that said, there are some things I think you should avoid. There are some red flags. First, avoid or be wary of a lawyer who promotes how aggressive he or she is. Many people coming into a family law dispute think they need a lawyer who's a bulldog. You know, I want someone who's going to fight for me. I want someone who's who's really going to go after the other side. While it's reasonable to be comforted by the thought of someone fighting for you, especially when you're experiencing all the anxiety that comes along with a family law dispute, you need to be wary of these types of lawyers. The lawyers who are considered to be bulldogs or who uh, promote themselves as bulldogs, they often act aggressive to put on a show for the client. And so don't be fooled by this. The best family law attorneys, and that's going to be the ones who tend to get the best results, those are the ones who avoid these overt displays of aggression, or they tend to avoid them, okay? There's a time and a place for a lawyer to be aggressive. And so I'm not saying you should avoid a lawyer who is, uh, avoid a lawyer who ever shows some aggression. That's not what I'm saying. But be wary of a lawyer who boasts about fighting or who claims to be a bulldog. It's the smart, methodical, professional lawyer who tends to see the best results. Those are the folks that are the real difference makers in the courtroom. All right, the next red flag. Avoid anyone who guarantees an outcome. No two family law cases are the same. The same case tried on different days could produce different outcomes. There are simply too many variables involved. So anyone who guarantees an outcome is full of it and should be avoided. All right, we've talked about how to find a family law attorney, what good things to look for, and some bad things to avoid. I honestly recommend meeting with several lawyers before you select one. You have to do your homework, but it's absolutely worth it. Finding the right lawyer for you, and that's the person who's the right fit for you, can make the difference between a good experience and a terrible one and the difference between a good outcome or at least a better outcome. So let's be honest, family law disputes, they're never going to be a great experience. It's not going to be fun, okay? After all, you're in court, you're arguing with someone over something that's important to you, you're having to pay lawyers. This isn't exactly relaxing on the beach. But if you follow this advice, it can give you some peace of mind and make the experience better than it otherwise would have been. So, Wesley... Thanks for the question. I hope this helps, and good luck to you. The next question came from an email from Chris Roberts that was sent through my firm's online contact form, and he asks, can someone get his child support arrearage waived if he was locked up, and that's the reason he's behind? So Chris, your question raises two issues, and I'm going to restate them. So first, does child support accrue while the parent who owes child support, we call it the obligor, is incarcerated? And second, can a child support arrearage be forgiven? Let's start with the first question. Does child support accrue while a parent is in prison? The simple answer, yes. Your duty to support your child exists until the child is legally emancipated, and that usually happens when a child turns 18 and graduates from high school. And moreover, the legal obligation exists even if there's not a court order establishing a specific amount of child support. In Tennessee, child support is governed by the child support guidelines. And the child support guidelines say this about an incarcerated parent. I'm going to read it. It says, 
criminal activity and or incarceration shall not provide grounds for reduction of any child support obligation. That's the law. So if a parent is in jail or prison, that parent is deemed to be willfully or voluntarily underemployed. So the parent will be charged with the same child support obligation they would have had or that they did have uh, before going into jail. All right. So yes, child support accrues while a parent is incarcerated. That brings us to really the second part of the question is if there's a child support arrearage that accrued while the parent was incarcerated, can it be forgiven? In other words, can a child support arrearage be waived? And the answer is, well, maybe. And frankly, that's the answer to just about every family law question there is, as well, it depends. Because honestly, it does depend. In Tennessee, there is a law that says a child support arrearage can be waived by agreement of the parties and if the court finds the waiver to be in the best interest of the child. If you want to look it up, the law is Tennessee Code Annotated Section 36-5-101F6. That's 36-5-101F6. And that law has several requirements. First, it requires the parent to have paid their child support as ordered for at least the 12 months that precede the agreement. Okay, so for the 12 prior months, you had to have paid child support as ordered. It also requires that all the parties agree that waiving the arrearage is in the child's best interest. And so if the state is a party, if the state of Tennessee is a party, as is very common in child support matters, then the state has to also agree that it's in the child's best interest to waive the arrearage. Finally, the court has to find that waiver of the arrearage is in the child's best interest. Okay, so this raises the obvious question. Well, when could anyone possibly find that it's in a child's best interest to waive an arrearage? I asked that exact question to an audience of family law attorneys a few years ago when I was teaching them about this law. Someone told me of a situation they'd seen where the court approved the waiver. In this particular case they mentioned, this was an older child who was about to go off to college. That child needed money for college. I forget the amount, but let's just say the parent owed $100,000, had an arrearage of $100,000, but didn't have $100,000. But the parent said, look, I can come up with $70,000. I can sell something and, and get that. And so they reached a deal that if the parent paid the $70,000 right away, then the balance, the extra thirty dollars the parent owed, uh, would be forgiven. And the court found that deal was in the child's best interest, the theory being it's better for the child to have 70% of an arrearage and a lump sum right now when the kid needs the money to go off to college rather than to collect the entire amount over a long period of time. Needless to say, The situations where a court is likely to find it's in the child's best interest to only receive a portion of the child support to which the child is entitled, those situations are few and far between. It's really hard to argue you're better off getting less than what you're owed. So with that said, is it theoretically possible? Maybe. (laughs) Yes, theoretically it is possible. Uh, The statute is Tennessee Code Annotated 36-5-101-F-6. So, Chris, thanks for the question, and I hope this helps. Our final question comes from another voicemail message. 
Hi, this is Jerry from Athens, Tennessee. I have a question uh, for Mr. Hurston for the podcast, but I, I, before I ask that, I wanted to say how very much I enjoy reading the blog. It, you know, it really keeps me um, on top of the latest news in Tennessee family law, and uh, I, I really like it. Um, when he comments on the cases. Anyway, uh, my question for the podcast is, if you could change one thing about family law in Tennessee, what would it be? I look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks. Bye. All right. This one is easy. In April last year, the legislature removed the mandatory 12% interest that up until then accrued on unpaid child support. They did this because, according to the bill's sponsor, the state's attorneys who handle a huge portion of the child support cases in Tennessee, those lawyers requested the change on the grounds that it would help them process their huge caseload more efficiently. The theory is that when people owe a child support arrearage, they tend to be uncooperative. Surprise! And they tend to not pay. So by removing the mandatory interest, the state attorneys thought they would have fewer cases that required contested litigation in court, all right? The other party, the party that owed the, the arrearage, would be more cooperative, and, uh, and it would reduce some of their caseload. They also argued that the child support collections would likely go up because, again, according to the bill's sponsor, some money is better than no money. All right, so by way of background, prior to April of 2017, when parents didn't pay their child support on time, their child support obligation automatically began incurring interest at a rate of 12%. Now, 12% is a high rate. It's not quite what credit card companies charge, but it's definitely getting up there. It's certainly higher than normal interest rates. And that's not an accident. That was by design. The interest was set so high in order to incentivize the prompt payment of child support. So if you didn't pay on time, it was going to cost you. To avoid the pain of high interest, 12%, the thinking was that people would pay on time. Obviously, we should encourage and incentivize the prompt payment of child support. Okay, No reasonable person wants children to go without the financial support to which they're entitled. So that's where the attorneys who handle child support for the state come in. So according to this bill's sponsor from last year, they thought that reducing or even eliminating interest on unpaid child support would reduce their caseload, and they argued it would lead to an increase in the amount of child support received. In other words, they argued that if we reduce the incentive for prompt payment, then that will encourage prompt payment. If that sounds counterintuitive to you, you're not alone. So the law changed, and as of last year, Tennessee eliminated mandatory interest on unpaid child support. Instead, the law now gives the judge the discretion to award interest of up to 4%, but the judge could still award no interest. In fact, the starting point is now no interest at all. That's where we start. If the judge is going to award any interest now, he or she has to make certain findings, and even if these findings are made, the interest is capped at 4%. Now, understand, interest on unpaid judgments is nothing new in Tennessee. So if someone runs a red light, let's say, and hits my car and causes $5,000 worth of damage to my car, and I sue them and I get a judgment against them ordering them to pay me $5,000 for the property damage they caused, 
that judgment automatically accrues interest. The interest rate on all civil judgments in Tennessee used to be 10%, but a while back they lowered it to where it now varies based on the interest rate the Federal Reserve charges banks to borrow money. So right now, right now, the interest rate that accrues on civil judgments like my hypothetical $5,000 judgment for property damage is 6.5%. So do the math. The person who damaged my car has more financial incentives to pay me for my property damage than a parent has to support his or her child. Again, if that sounds crazy to you, you're not alone. And I think it's indefensible. I think it does a disservice to the children in Tennessee. And frankly, I think it's an embarrassment to our state. Now, I was pretty vocal about my opinions on this uh, on the blog last year when this change happened. So my thoughts on this are are nothing new. So of all the problems I'd like to fix regarding Tennessee family law, I think this is my number one. And, you know, the frustrating part is that it's self-inflicted. So watching the video of the debate on the House floor, which I linked to back when I posted on it last year, it's cringe-inducing. I mean, our legislators, by and large, showed that they knew little or nothing about what I think is this very important issue. So anyway, that's the first thing I would fix if I could. Now, interestingly, there's a bill making its way through the legislature this year that would remedy this issue to a very small extent. It's House Bill 2134. It's supported by the Tennessee Bar Association, who I guess thinks that any improvement is better than nothing. But the bill they're considering this year, this House Bill 2134, it would create two standards for interest on unpaid child support. So in cases that are not handled by the state, meaning cases where both parents have private lawyers or they're unrepresented and the state has no involvement at all, then there would be a presumption of 6% interest on unpaid child support, although the judge would still have the discretion to reduce it to as low as zero. So even at 6%, the person that owes a debt for child support pays less interest than the person who owes a debt for any other judgments, any other type of judgment, like my hypothetical judgment for property damage to my car. So out of all the things you could owe money for, uh, owe a judgment for in Tennessee, child support is the one that has the lowest rate of interest. Let that sink in. It's, It's crazy. So If, taking my property damage example again, if that person owed me $5,000 for my property damage, and they also owed $5,000 for unpaid child support, it would be in their economic self-interest to pay me before they paid to support their child. Not paying their child support arrearage would be the rational decision for them to make. Now, how can that possibly be right? How does that make any sense at all? Okay, but... Back to the new bill they're looking at this year. It would keep the law as it is for cases handled by the state's attorneys, meaning there would be no presumption of interest at all on unpaid child support. But if the judge felt interest was appropriate, then the judge uh, could award it, and but it would still be capped at 4%. So that would be the maximum interest the court could award if it chooses to award interest at all. So again, there's two standards if this bill gets passed, and I think it looks like it will. There are two standards, one for cases handled by the state or where the state's involved in some capacity, and one for everyone else. So according to the bill's sponsor, this lower standard, keeping the law as it is, that's going to apply to about over, somewhere over 300,000 cases 
every year. That's how many cases the state's attorneys handle that involve child support, over 300,000 cases a year. So in over 300,000 cases each year in Tennessee, the parent who owes child support will be allowed to pay it whenever they feel like it, and they will suffer little to no consequence for not paying on time. I mean, that's it's just going to continue the current law that went into effect last year. It is terrible policy. It makes no sense to me. If I could, I would fix it. I, if I could, I would restore Tennessee to a system that makes it manifestly in a parent's best interest to pay child support on time. Now, look, I know some people will say that interest on child support is burdensome, and I agree. I completely agree. It is burdensome. It's supposed to be burdensome because we want children to receive financial support from both parents on time, every time. And if you can't afford to pay your child support, your remedy is to ask the court to lower it. The solution is not just to stop paying. You know, children still have to eat. They still need clothes for school. They still need a roof over their head and food in their bellies. Their needs never stop. And the child support shouldn't stop either. So Tennessee law needs to incentivize the timely payment of child support. It's that simple. Jerry, thank you very much for your question and for giving me the opportunity to rant from my soapbox for a few minutes. And that rant will conclude this episode of the podcast. Again, I want to thank those who submitted questions. I want to encourage you to continue submitting questions for me to address on future episodes of the podcast. When I get enough of them, I'll do another one of these episodes where I try to answer your questions. But that's it for this one. I'm K.O. Hurston. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.